0: Michelle Moore is a granddaughter, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a niece, a cousin, a wife, and a mother. She started life in the Canadian prairies and moved to British Columbia as an adult, where she has lived for the past 25 years. Other than two years, she spent in Ontario completing her master's degree. She works as a couple and family therapist in private practice in Langley, British Columbia. Michelle is a singer and enjoys recreation in the outdoors with family and friends. She enjoys making things with her hands, cooking, and traveling. Michelle has 30 years experience providing counseling for individuals, couples, and families. She works in private practice in a beautifully restored heritage building in Langley, British Columbia. Michelle offers courses for small groups on-site at the Newfeld Institute or for larger groups off-site. Michelle is a parent consultant, part of the virtual campus leadership team, and a faculty intern with the Newfeld Institute. We'll get the dog out of the room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I told I told my my daughters I'm doing a podcast. They're laughing and joking about making. Uh, You know, screaming from the next room, Mom, can I come out of my time out? (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's the only timeout they've ever been on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can I come out of the chains? I need to pee. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, of course, they know quite a bit about Gordon Neufeld's work. And, uh, you know.
0: Oh, yeah, they have to use it. Just being (laughs) cheeky. Yeah,
1: of course. Just poke fun.
0: That's hilarious. I I always wonder, you know, what do people who are hearing bits and pieces of this actually make of it?
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) hard to say, I suppose. You know, when you're making a joke about it, it's it's easier to uh, misunderstand, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. Well, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I just facilitated the Quest program in a classroom. I guess you probably wouldn't know that. Yeah.
1: I didn't know that, but that's okay. I'm I'm really interested to hear how that went. Yeah. Because my, my daughters participated in the pilot. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Mm. Well, it would, it's a much different format. I had to condense it quite a bit, and I had to think of ways to try to make activities more interactive and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I did six hour and a half long classroom sessions with a grade 10 classroom mm. just last week, actually.
1: And would people uh would would you say would the students say that 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 was an uh, engaging and, and useful experience? Will you repeat it?
0: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: I think I think if
0: I did it again, I would try to think of even more ways to bring in activities, or at least in you know at least one activity per session that's experiential, yes. and then um, some sort of like even just adding more videos or adding more ways to break up me talking the entire time, mm-hmm. right? And in a yeah. classroom setting, it's it's harder for them to be vulnerable. And of course, you know, you're going to get the whole range of people. And in terms of their feedback and their surveys, most of them got something out of it. Most of them liked it to some degree, but there's a small mm-hmm. disproportional amount of people, i.e. the three guys in the back (laughs) with the big greasy hair over top of their faces those were the ones who just wrote terrible things (laughs) not not too terrible but they yeah they basically said one wrote actually stop presenting
1: (laughs) I was Mm. like oh that's
0: the meanest thing someone's ever said to me but I I understand where it comes from and you know a lot of boys at that age they don't want to hear that they yeah. don't want to talk about this subject matter straight up
1: and No, well and it's that it's part of that urge to escape from this discomfort, this awkwardness, the I don't know what I'm supposed to be thinking or doing. And it's all just better to avoid. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I get it, but most of, you know, most the rest of the class, probably 80% of the class, you know, enjoyed it, got something out of it, was engaged at one point or another. The teacher mm-hmm. wrote a testimonial for me and said that there were um, students who she rarely have seen engage engage at one point or another in mm-hmm. particular conversation. They were asking really meaningful questions at times, like about nice. domestic violence, about... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they really got the sadness thing, the tears thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I'm I'm glad I well, did
1: it. That's that's very useful uh for a young person who doesn't otherwise have anyone to talk to about what's the uh, point of tears or what why would I bother with sad? E- even that in and of itself just recognizing the need for it is pretty pretty important.
0: Oh yeah, totally. And I you know, I can never know exactly how it's landing in their teenage brains, but if they just get that one small piece, if they just get permission to cry, then I'm happy. You know, I've done my work.
1: Exactly. Well, and even mm-hmm. just, I think sometimes if a person just grabs a little bit of something that they think, I'm kind of curious about that, I and now I have more questions, That even that is quite fruitful because we're really wanting people to have that emergent curiosity to maybe explore more, to, you know, maybe watch a few of those YouTube videos. Videos or something, you know, just kind of poke around a little bit more about what is, what is Dr. Newfeld trying to say, or what is, what's the importance of emotions, or, you know, what is this that's going on with me or with my friend, or, you know, any of it.
0: Yeah, and at least we have Inside Out now, which I got. I to- know, <laughs> I love that film. <laughs> I got to explain it to them in a way that probably makes. Way more sense to them. so they'll never watch that the same again, I don't think
1: yes, i I you know what I recommend that film to a lot of people uh, for adults too who are are uh, quite quite un out of touch, I should say with with the feelings you know, having had a long history of of uh, not not feeling things not yep. not allowing themselves to feel things,
0: yeah. It's interesting because I watched that film when it first came out in theaters, and I was hanging on the edge of my seat, going, "Please, the whole generation is watching. Please don't mess this up." And, oh,
1: I had the same experience. Yes.
0: Because <laughs> sadness, right? Sadness is portrayed as you know the Debbie Downer, and I was like, yes. "Please don't do this, don't do this." And when sadness saves the day,
1: um, yeah, yeah, it was just like <laughs> victory, and wanted to jump out of my seat and. I had the same experience, Eugene. I was I was uh, the same you know, in anticipation, just really hoping that they would convey that emotions are all important, that they all have purpose. And I thought they did a great job in the film of also portraying our fear of sadness. Yes. <laughs> you know, our incredible reluctance to go there. To allow that feeling to even have any room, and so yeah, I mean when I'm when I'm talking with adults or young adults or or even adolescents about feelings, well, I can use that that film quite often. Most people have seen it, so
0: I know everybody's seen it pretty much. So it's really handy.
1: It's a really helpful cultural reference now that most people have seen it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting how many people have watched it and somehow managed to miss that message in all of it.
1: Yes, I agree. And then I, I sometimes that's that's what I ask people to do, okay? So we've talked about this, and I've told you my eyes. What I saw in the film, now I'd like you to go back and watch it again. Yeah. And see what you see this time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love even how the the memory balls, Riley's memory balls, turn multicolored
1: yes
0: that's such a beautiful symbol of integrative functioning and maturation oh so good
1: exactly Mm because we can feel many things about the same memory and Mm -hmm. uh yeah I agree I I thought I thought there were so many things they did just beautifully in that film and it's given us a really good common language to be able to talk to people about feelings and what's what's the point and yeah uh, and what happens when they don't when, when they don't get to move what happens when we're sort of nervous about crying or nervous about being nervous you know we don't have a place for all of our feelings gives us gives us some good uh, material
0: yeah just to talk
1: about. yeah
0: yeah for all ages
1: exactly yeah yeah
0: very useful yeah, so I've been recording this and I don't know what um, I'll use or where I'll start because mm-hmm. it's a pretty conversational style podcast and, uh, oh, sorry, Ryan's trying to tell me to adjust the mic. Um, I have not been paying attention no. to the waveforms. <laughs> this is <her. laughs> Um Yes. <coughs> so you think that she's louder than me? Mm. I think it's going to work out okay.
2: okay. We're like, I'm just going to move this back, and then I'll do
1: this. I could move my microphone a little further from my mouth. Would that help?
2: Nope. No, you sound really good, actually. Yeah, you do sound okay. really good. Yeah, okay. you sound super clear. I'm just, we're recording through one mic here on the other side, so just adjusting it here will be fine. Okay. Okay, I think we're good.
1: Okay, awesome. That's why I was a couple minutes late. I was just, I sat down here, I was all comfortable, and then I was like, ah, I need to go get my mic. <laughs> oh, I'm
0: so glad you did, because it sounds really nice.
1: <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. yeah. It makes a difference. Yeah, talking through the computer becomes more fuzzy, or it just sounds echoey or something.
0: Yeah, that's the the, the issue with trying to record things at a distance, is grappling with the sound. At least in person, I have the equipment to be able to make it sound good, but so far um, we've been pretty lucky with technology. So, Okay, awesome. We're good to go. So yeah, I don't know what I'll um, edit out of the beginning part there. Maybe some of that is good, Um, but this is just a super conversational style podcast. I want to ask you about yourself and your thoughts and what you do and your family and sure. Anything else you want to share that might be valuable yeah, to
1: parents. I probably rather that you don't, even though I'm completely joking, my daughters are joking, rather not have that part in the, yeah, in the podcast. Okay, sure. <laughs> well, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> yes. Well, simply because I think for some people that isn't funny. And so, yeah, I mean, for, for our family, that's funny, but for other people, that's not funny. It's, trauma so
0: yeah yeah okay
1: yeah
0: well what what's your official um role um with parents i know you do parent coaching and stuff but what's your um where do you work in langley and what do you do and i know you're an attachment expert oh did i lose you Oh hey deeds. Oopsie I think we lost it this game. Hello? Hello? Hey Deeds, can you come here for a sec? Hey, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, can you come in for a sec? I don't know why, um, but it just, all of a sudden there was just no sound.
2: From? From
0: her end, like.
2: Is the call's just dropped?
0: Well, I actually ended up hanging up because I thought if I called again, it might, um, it might just rectify it. Okay. But. Literally just nothing all of a sudden I've got full oh, bars gosh. on my internet and the sound just cut out
2: it Cut out for you and her
0: Yeah, I guess so
2: or Like she you just couldn't hear her anymore. Yeah, okay. Huh? Just try on again. I think The best Wait, to go Just don't even worry about fucking anything just Try it again Wonder. It's ringing.
0: Hello? See, mm-hmm. is that weird? Mm-hmm. Huh?
2: But we could hear it ringing.
0: One sec. You don't think it's anything on our end?
2: Guessing she's. Can she hear us?
0: Um, I don't think so. Here's this typing thing. Hello, hello. Damn. Okay, one
2: sec here.
0: I have a phone and a tablet. I can't hear it all. I can try and restart.
2: She can't hear it all either. Okay. Uh, maybe it's us then.
0: Okay, Let's
2: should start. I? No, it might be us. Just tell
0: Well, it's very odd because we had sound and then, and then had no sound. Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: So, input. Yeah. Input. Output. That thing.
0: She's just restarting her laptop, she said. Okay. Damn yeah, it sounded so perfect. Why do you think it did that? Alternatives are Gmail Facebook Facebook
1: The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please leave a message...
0: Hello? Hello? Oh, okay, well that seems to be working, so...
2: Mm. you know what you should do? Close Skype on your phone. Oh, okay. Maybe it's like trying to interrupt it or something. Could be pie I don't Ah,
0: know if that's a thing. But Okay. Maybe. Okay. Well we'll just resume and if we hit a wall of futility we will (laughs) find our way through.
1: Have some sadness and some tears. I do. I've got Facebook, I've got Google, we'll we'll figure something out. Okay.
0: Yeah, if Skype crashes again, then... Or I don't know if it was Skype or what the problem was there. I'm not
1: sure. It was really strange. It was coming up with an error message about my can't access your sound card. Maybe you need to restart. So it could be because I had my computer open already, and then I plunked plunked in the headset after. Oh, okay. You know, sometimes it doesn't like the order of things.
0: Right, yep, yep. It could be learned that recently in course assisting.
1: Ah oh, yes,
0: <laughs> so both of us uh, have the experience of grappling with technology. Yes, okay. Entertaining
1: and you know, good practice for walls of futility.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so you are a parent of two daughters, I am a right? Two na- two teenage daughters.
1: Yes, one of them's on the verge of you know legally she's an adult to vote uh, soon. Soon to be uh, legally to drink in British Columbia, although she's been living in in a province where she could drink at eighteen. So, oh, okay. <laughs> in many respects, she's been a legal adult for a little bit. And my other one's just uh, now a legal driver. So, you know, two big milestones mm-hmm. <laughs> this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so so your adult daughter doesn't no longer lives with you. She's in another province, and
1: she has been in another province she's home because she's going to university so this is uh this is her summer at home but um that was a really weird thing for a family to uh just adjust to her not being here for meals and not being here you know every day instead we would chat with her over skype or something like that but uh yeah it's been a it's been an interesting but I think a really good uh growth year really. It's transition.
0: Yeah, so so would you generally chat um every day on Skype or technology or something like that?
1: No, we oh. we started I think at the beginning when she didn't have a lot of local connections where she was, we would talk more frequently and then as she started to feel a little bit more um you know, she started to develop some friendships. She started to feel a little bit more at home or at least more confident in her surroundings, a little bit less like she had to be tethered to home. <laughs> um, then we would talk more like every few days. But of course, there's still text messages and Snapchats and little little ways of connecting with pictures or sharing funny stories or something like that, good mornings and good nights and things like that. So I think between, between, uh, you know, myself, my younger daughter and my husband, we probably had some daily contact with her. It was just uh, not always with me, not always with dad, not always with sister.
0: And that's the beauty of technology that you don't actually have to have a vulnerable conversation. You can send a bitmoji or... (laughs) Snapchat or something, and it means um,
1: I'm thinking of you or, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, a picture of the dog, and, you know, it's not about the dog. or
1: Indeed. Yes, it's just ways of connecting. I used to, um, because she was in a province that has a full-on winter, and we don't usually really get much of a winter where she's grown up, and uh, so I knew for her leaving all of the green of... This area was going to be, well, she talked about it being something she was really going to crave. Mm-hmm. And so every once in a while, I would just send her some photograph of something very green and beautiful and just say, I'm sending you your greens for the week. <laughs> <laughs> or send your snapshots of mountains or something that she doesn't have where she lives either. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, just little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ways you're. Up-
0: you're out in Langley.
1: I am, yeah, in in British Columbia, and um, yeah. So she was introduced to the prairie life, which is really where I started my life <laughs> in the oh. prairies, where where we have all four seasons, and and uh, I would say uh, here we have we have spring, we have summer we have fall but there's not much for a winter here really we just have a prolonged fall yeah yeah <laughs> for well, the most part yeah this re- year this year we had a bit of snow but it's it still just feels like okay well we know it'll go away soon enough yeah yeah it's, it's not at all like the the weather that she encountered this year minus 30 something and Never felt anything like that before.
0: <laughs> I guess it would be a, a rather shocking experience if you're not used to it.
1: I think so yeah, um and and you know I find it's funny because I grew up in in that kind of climate, and you know we all knew just put on more clothes and and then you can still play outside, you can still do things, and life doesn't have to stop and then i I thought it was funny when I moved from that kind of climate out to the coast that the weather seemed to, uh, stop people. Once it got cold people, it, it, it was, it was, uh, sort of foreign and people didn't know what to do with it. And they didn't, <laughs> they didn't just, just, you know, kind of, uh, dig in and get rid of the snow and get driving. And, uh, it was, it was quite, a, quite a different thing for me coming out here, but now I think when I go back to Alberta, I think I'd be like just as shocked as my daughter was.
0: Yeah, I love winter, but I don't love fighting against it. So yes. I wish we could yes. use that as an excuse to slow down and hibernate, but the show must go on. And Yes, exactly.
1: I think there's something interesting that I, I've you know, we were talking about um, relationships a little bit, or I think we'll, we'll be talking about relationships. And I, I've had this theory for a little while that when a community as a whole has to endure some hardship, such as an incredibly cold winter or, you know, an incredibly dry season or something like, along those lines, that there's something that kind of pulls people together uh, that you've got a common enemy and it somehow brings out the friendly in people
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and when when there isn't that obvious common hardship it 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 i don't know how or why but it, it seems to change the way that people even interact just with strangers i find when i'm you know when we were driving in saskatchewan for example this summer myself and my daughters and People drive by on a, on a, you know, smaller rural roads and, you know, they wave (laughs) and, (laughs) and, and I wave back and my daughter's like, do you know that person? (laughs) 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 I don't. And yet there's some shared sense of community, a sense of we're all in it together. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the belonging, that sense of, um, uh, belonging that comes from we all have to you know deal with this harsh weather and or you know harsh conditions and you know i said to to my daughters if if somebody's car had been pulled off to the side of the road in a terrible storm and you kept driving people would think what's wrong with you yeah and and here <laughs> where I guess there's less sense of danger, risk to, you know, your fellow uh, community members. If someone's car stuck on the side of the road. People just keep driving. And there isn't the same culture of what's wrong with you. Why wouldn't you stop? Of course you stop. And, uh, yeah, I think some of that is at the heart of uh, something. Yeah, anyway, random yeah, thoughts
0: there's a i don't know if you ever heard of the show kindness diaries but it's I this haven't. um social experiment where this um um guy goes around the world and his goal is to travel the entire world not spending any money
1: and oh yeah interesting so he
0: has to rely on the kindness of strangers for his accommodations food gas for his motorcycle
1: yes his whole, this sounds a lot there's yeah. another movie uh, uh, like Craigslist or something where a guy does this, a similar things he travels for three months or something without ah, any okay okay i have seen that one and that was quite heartwarming really
0: oh yeah this was a real tear jerker if you want tears mm-hmm. of inspiration yeah definitely um so he, I guess he filmed a whole season doing that, and then he went back and filmed a second season feeling like he needed to give back. So he, he poses the experiment in the same way, but then he ultimately ends up giving back to many of the people along the way who move nice. him. But he still has to get through the night based on their gifts on their kindness yeah exactly and then the next day he'll offer something like i'm gonna pay for your children's university or whatever the case may be but nice. um yeah of course in every urban center it's really really difficult to connect yeah. in and in rural towns oh you're you'll totally get your needs met or in you know Bhutan Absolutely. they'll just take you right in and feed you and give you the yes. best bed they'll give you the you know the the head of the household's bed to sleep in and that sort of thing.
1: Yes. Well, I I mean, I certainly ponder what is it that, that keeps us so close to those, uh, just just that natural sense of it's, 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 it's something that gives back when you give to other people, when you connect with other people in a meaningful way, what alienates us from that when we live in a big city? you know
0: yeah definitely there's a feeling of being segregated and disconnected and not part of community
1: more, more so than in in smaller centers for sure
0: yeah and then of course the dark side is that everybody knows your business and the good the <laughs> bad the ugly
1: <laughs> yes it's true and then you have to move to a big city so you can have a little bit of privacy <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yep. So out in Langley,
0: what is it that you do out there? Because you do some parent coaching, right? And working with parents one to one, or
1: what else I, do you do? I do. I work in my own practice now. I, I worked for years in the, in the uh, health authority working with youth and their families uh, who were coming into the emergency departments asking for assistance with the uh, young person's crisis of some sort, <clears throat> generally a mental health crisis, uh, someone feeling like this alienation we're just talking about, mm-hmm. you're feeling quite alone or in a lot of uh, distress. I worked um, in that kind of venue for 15 years with, with the uh, emergency departments, with the mental health services, and then with an uh, early psychosis program. And then um, I had always wanted to have my own practice. I think the longer you stay in a big organization, at least in my experience, I just kept finding that that people wanted me to be in charge of things, to um, kind of go into more administrative roles, Uh. which – there was some appeal to that in, in the ability to, to then you know, be working with bigger groups of people. But I found I was losing the, the one-on-one kind of real heart of it, kind of the, the heart of this work that I was, I was really craving. So I said, you know, I'm going to go back, just take a step back. I'm not going to be in charge of anybody. I'm just going to open my own little practice. So that's what I've been doing for the last five years, working my own practice where I will meet with uh, a lot of parents. My clinic that I work in is co-located with an obstetrics and gynecology office, so it oh. means that we have a lot of a lot of expectant parents, a lot of hopeful parents, and a lot of new parents in our building. And uh, so I end up working with a lot of families where. I'm working with the parents. Sometimes it's both their relationship and their um, trying to make sense of their children that I'm working with at uh, at the outset. Sometimes it's just about the children. Sometimes it's just about the adult relationships. But in any in any event, it's all about relationship, and uh, I use a lot of the same principles no matter the age group.
0: And so, what's the most common? theme that you've seen or do are you kind of known for any particular um you know helping people with anxiety in particular or is there is it kind of a plethora of presenting <laughs> issues that
1: people come to question for? it's hard to know what I've known for I don't get to hear what people think <laughs> <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I would say what uh what a lot of, a lot of people if they're referring people to me a lot of what they're referring to me is people who are struggling with relationships between parents and children Ah, oh, okay um yeah and and so i i speak with a lot of parents who have the adolescence that they're sort of noticing their adolescence are, are sort of feeling distant or alienated or something along those lines <clears throat> or that they're they're concerned that their adolescents are moving a little further away from them um, just in terms of their time, their energy, their attention, all that kind of stuff. So I have conversations with parents about that. But I spend a lot of time, I think probably because people um, are, are just aware that I work with, with the obstetrics and gynecology group. I get a lot of referrals for parents of uh, three or three-and-a-half or four-year-olds. Mm. And maybe there's a second sibling that's on the way or just arrived. But so I'm working with a lot of parents with preschoolers. Oh, okay. And, I, and I, love, I love working with preschoolers. Well, I don't, I don't generally see the children myself. I see the parents and I work with them consulting with the parents about making sense of their children so that the relationship can go forth <laughs> unimpeded by the things that sometimes you would take offense to if you didn't really see it. Yeah, or make sense of it,
0: <clears throat> and and so is it mainly Gordon Newfeld's work that you draw upon, or do you have other mentors that have been had a strong influence?
1: I would say it is primarily Gordon Newfeld's work. Um, I certainly, you know, it's interesting you ask, Eugenia, when I started out working. I was my first job in this field, really. I was nineteen years old, and I say sometimes when I'm talking to people, I was baptized in counter will <laughs> <laughs> i I was uh, hired to work in a group home situation with eight adolescents <clears throat> wow. I was hardly hardly older than they were, and none of them were attached to me and all of them had had difficulties in the relationships with adults in their lives thus far and didn't probably have any reason really to think much of me. And so I was charged with things like, you know, you need to get them to do chores and get them to get up and get them to brush their teeth and go to bed on time and go to school and all these things that parents are trying to do. And, you know if parents find themselves coming up a bit short on influence how do i influence my my children to do these things that nobody wants to do imagine you know being barely older than them and trying to be <laughs> <laughs> trying to be the motivator i had to learn really quickly even before i'd heard of gordon newfeld that there were certain ways you could not interact with an adolescent and expect anything to get done mm-hmm yeah. So sometimes I jokingly call that my baptism encounter will.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's really yeah. funny when we put it that way, you know, that um <laughs> you know, how how could we expect them to do all of these things and was it were your superiors advocates of, you know, punishing and rewarding them and that sort of thing?
1: Um question. Yeah, there were certainly some consequences and things like that that at the time I didn't think much of those things, but I mean I was a junior person in the in the team. I would listen to whatever they were going to do, but whatever kind of consequences they would, you know, bring down upon these young kids, ultimately I still had to try and have a relationship with them the next shift or later on that same shift and so even if I had to be the one that delivered a hey here's the bad news so you know the powers that be have decided x y or z um <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't come down heavy because I knew that that wasn't going to go anywhere yeah you know I wasn't I wasn't some uh, authority figure in their eyes it was pretty clear to me I suppose that helped actually it probably helped me to figure out what I needed to figure out, which was how to use humor, how to use relationship to, to influence kids to, to follow what was good for them or to follow what needed to happen. I knew that I didn't have any power. So, yeah, I had to get creative.
0: Yeah, so it was pretty intuitive from, from the get-go that you needed to have relationships I think so. In order to get someone to do your bidding.
1: Yeah, otherwise I was just dead in the water, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Like a sailboat with no wind. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going anywhere. Had to had to figure out things. So yeah, I mean I figured out I figured out things and some of it is intuitive, you know. I just uh I knew. I knew how like the one of the girls it was really tough for everyone to connect with And she didn't want to hear from anybody. She didn't want to admit that she needed any adults. She didn't want to listen to anybody's ideas. I think at that point, I had some advantage because I was not too far from her age. And I kind of used that, you know, closeness in age so that we could talk about some things that I was still in touch with. I think she was about 14 or 15 and I was 19. So I used a lot of the things we had in common and... And then there was a time when she really wanted to go out and she was trying to figure out how to spike her hair. Now, this was the 80s, you know, so (laughs) (laughs) spiking the hair and making big hair was pretty cool if you knew how to do it. (laughs) And uh, I just happened to know how to do it. So I became her favorite go to and she started leaning on me and our relationship formed. And I was like, hey. There was some success there. That's pretty good. I didn't have to compromise anything. I didn't have to give her any, um, you know, break any rules or, you know, do any of those kind of things. It didn't have integrity. I just had to connect with something. She she needed to figure out how to do these crazy big hairdos. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. You had the info that she needed.
1: I did. I could lead the way. I could, you could, be, I could alpha. be her go-to person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was funny so then after that you know after I helped her the one time then after that if I was coming on shift I would sometimes I would just arrive on shift and <laughs> she'd be there I'm going out I need your help <laughs> <laughs> she'd be just waiting for
0: me to arrive
1: so that was always fun
0: so how did you end up in this line of work then like what what drew you to it
1: well it's a good question You've been I, in it since uh, you were 19 then at least uh, yeah, well, yeah, this is what I've done my whole career. I've worked with young people and their families, relationships all along. I, I, um, I don't know. My mom laughs and she says, I was a social worker when I was five years old. I was, uh, living in a, we lived in a trailer park for a little while when I was a little kid and my mom would be making cookies and I knew some of my, my friends, their moms didn't make cookies and their moms didn't really. Uh, they their moms weren't doing very well, and I don't know. I didn't really think about that. I guess I just knew that their moms didn't make cookies. So as soon as my mom would say she's making cookies, I would go out in the front step and I would go, "Hey everybody, my mom's making cookies. Come on over." <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom's like, "You were a social worker from day one." <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I, I, uh, I think when I was in in. High school, even in elementary, you know, I always noticed the kids that were really quiet and off to the side or the ones that, that, uh, yeah, they would just be kind of shut down. I always noticed them. I didn't really know what to do about them. I was always trying not to be part of the crowd of people that were being unkind, but I didn't, I also didn't have a great deal of confidence, I suppose, as a young kid. I just, I certainly didn't want to be the one that was participating in making people feel bad and, so I always think I had a soft heart for other people and, and, uh, yeah, I was already in high school. I kind of thought, you know, I think what'd be really interesting is to, to be an adult that talks or is available for other people. So I kind of thought I'd be a school counselor. And then I found out a bit more about that, uh, direction. And then I thought, actually, that's not, I don't really want to go get a teaching degree. I want to just go into something that's a little bit more counseling oriented and, Ended up taking my first uh, undergrad in social work and then followed that up after a few years working with young people and families. I followed that up with pursuing something very specifically about working with families. I did a, a marriage and family therapy degree. Oh, okay. So you've really focused on the couples thing. I really couple, couples and families. So relationships. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yep. S-
0: so did you study John Gottman's work? Like, did you get big into that or?
1: I, I didn't, oh, okay. uh, I didn't get big into it. I think when I, like I did my, my, my master's degree in 1995 to 1997. And when I came out to the coast after that, um, I heard about John Gottman. And of course from the coast, he's, he's pretty close by and, so a lot of people were talking about John Gottman. I was kind of curious about it. I didn't really do much about that. I did go to a, a good uh, uh, training that was offered jointly by Sue Johnson and John and Julie Gottman. They did a summit where both of them were presenting the ways that they work with relationships. So I thought, well, this is perfect. I, I went and learned a lot more about the Gottman. Approach, and I learned a lot more about the emotionally focused uh, therapy of Sue, jo- Sue Johnson. So both of them, I was kind of in, interested in what they were trying to say. Uh, I had already by that point, though, been in uh, an intensive with Dr. Neufeld. It's just that at the time when I took the intensive, it was uh, not – he. <clears throat> Even though Dr. Newfeld had always said that yes, this applies to adults, he never joined the dots about how to apply this or how to um, clearly make the leap from making sense of kids to making sense of adults. And I was always a little nervous that I might make mistakes in my conclusions <laughs> if I just mm. jumped jumped from one to the other. And and so I I <clears throat> didn't assume uh, that I knew all of it, but actually. I would just sort of test test ask questions and kind of observe and and really did notice hey all of this stuff really does apply. So I absolutely,
0: think Absolutely, yeah.
1: It absolutely applies. I I um yeah, I mean when I was when I did my master's training, we focused a lot on narrative and solution-oriented and and some other mm, they called it postmodern mm social constructionist or something essentially looking at the meaning of words the meaning of communication language uh, the meaning that culture places on on words and yeah it, essentially most of the training that i took when i went to my master's training i did that in Guelph Ontario and the training i took there was mostly focused on approaches that were uh, quite current and quite focused on giving some preference to clients lived experiences as opposed to, you know, trying to fit people into one, one uh, perfect or ideal model of what a family or, or a couple should look like. Mm
0: hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yep very cool yeah it's it's hard to find anything that's um, richer than Dr. Neufeld's theory that's for sure (laughs) it's a big part of my paradigm of reality now that
1: for sure Mm -hmm. and you know I found that a lot of when I was uh, looking at you know how do I then translate this into working with adults Sue Johnson's uh, material was the closest The closest um, overlap, I would say, in terms of the ideas and the relevance that she places on emotion and things like that. And it helped me just to put a little bit of um, confidence, I guess, behind what I really did know already from from studying some of the attachment and relationship stuff with Gordon. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Not to mention, I mean, all the history of my own experiencing and i didn't know it was called counter will but boy i knew i was up against something when i was 19 working in that group home i just didn't have words for it
0: yeah totally i mean these young people have been so pushed around no wonder they're resistant to any sort of coercion or yeah you know of
1: course they haven't well they have such little faith in adults being there for them right
0: yeah and rightfully, so. I've also worked in group homes and uh-huh. seen the the conditions that people live in. I mean, like the hmm. the poverty of relationship in these places, yes, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. and then I, I mean, I, I'd also not by not by design, not intentionally, but I'd also had two short stints working in jails. hmm. Yes. So uh, that, uh, uh, fortunately I'd already had my, my good training, uh, in-person training in understanding how not to get into struggles against counter will and power struggles with kids. Um, but the other thing that was so, so apparent when I was there, and again, I didn't really have the words for it, but I was working with, Adolescents in the youth jails and I could just see like they were not able to let down their guard to really experience tender emotions, sadness and hurt and yearning and hopefulness and all of these things that were just elusive for these kids. They couldn't touch them while they were in there And then sometimes in the safety of our office, they would touch them. And then I would think, oh, my goodness, you can't go in the hallways like this. You'll get eaten alive. And I didn't have all the right words necessarily or the theory that went behind it. But I could sure see that if someone actually touched something really painful while they were talking to me as a counselor in the jail, that we needed to just switch gears and talk about something light, fluffy and funny for a good number of minutes until their eyes didn't look like they'd been crying. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Did you ever have any, did you ever see any success stories in some of these young people though? Like was there,
1: well, that's a good question. Some
0: hopeful stories there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? It's hard to know. I think because the, the context where I ended up working in the jail, well, One of them was that I worked in an agency that had contracts with the jail, and all of the people who were filling the contract of providing services in the jail all left at one time, and so they were in desperate need for having some people to fill those spots, and they just asked my team, if we would all be willing to work an extra 10 hours a week until they were able to hire and bring in and train a new team of people to come in. so it was it was meant to be just a short term stay. So I can't say what what um, what seeds were planted that actually yeah. took root. It's very hard to know. I did I did certainly have some touching interactions with some of the kids where I think, yeah, I think, that there was something um, of a relationship forming that may have been kind of an unusual and unexpected thing for them and i think that any time that happens that's useful as long as it's not you know that you get ripped away from them i'd always alre- always said from the beginning i'm just here for a short while you don't need to get really attached to me i i will talk with you though and i will you know be respectful of you and and I don't mind if you ask me about anything. So sometimes I think maybe the safety that I wasn't going to be around for a long time maybe allowed some of them to ask me candid questions. Mm. Because Some some of them did. Yeah. 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 And one of the really tough kids, certainly, on the last day that I was uh, meeting with, with this group of kids, you know, asked me quite a vulnerable question that I really wasn't expecting. And... And then I realized, oh, my goodness, I need to be so careful how I respond to this. I can't really acknowledge how how vulnerable this person's just been how much yearning is in this question because I think that would make them feel very naked. Um, so I was very careful in the way that I responded, but I responded sincerely. And, and uh, it was kind of a memorable memorable moment for me where this kid just asked me, so after you leave here, After you leave here and you drive by this place, what are you going to think? Oh, wow. I know. Right? It said to me that it matters to him in this moment for whatever reason. He's decided that it matters to him. And he wants to know, do I think, what do I think of him? I thought, wow, that's, that's unexpected. And, you know, I answered well, I got out alive. (laughs) Wow joking a little but mm-hmm. not entirely i i think that there was there was uh a chance that had i uh, not answered from the heart that that could have gone very sideways but uh yeah i did i answered from the heart I just said i think i think when I drive by a place like this I think there's a lot of kids in there who've had a really rough start and I hope that they do better yeah you know
0: yeah you're acknowledging that it's really really tough it's like an Mm -hmm. animalistic type of yeah predatory type of yeah energy there well and
1: i mean some of the kids had been set up by their own family members yeah yeah i mean they just they just didn't get a good start and uh yes certainly a hard hard road for them ahead and i don't and i don't know what happened with with most of them
0: yeah yes. you, you don't have the bigger picture you you only know how you're being and you hope that you're planting the seeds in that mm-hmm. moment and you know mm-hmm. god only knows what where that goes
1: well and even if it's just a momentary given giving them an experience that all adults aren't going to set you up all adults aren't going to humiliate or make fun of or let you down in some way um you know, that adults can be straight with you, that they can care about you. And, um, even that, you know, giving, (laughs) giving the kids, I would, I would really ponder, what do I do as I'm saying goodbye to some of these kids that I've talked with for hours? And I know that they've, uh, shared a little bit of themselves with me. How do I say goodbye? And, uh, so you can't bring big gifts or anything and, or, you know, sentimental things that are sappy and they would just (laughs) you can't do that (laughs) so uh yeah it was a little little tricky how to say my goodbyes and how to leave them with something so that they could know that um that I'd really seen and heard them
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and a revolutionary thought that was introduced to me by Gordon was that we're not necessarily trying to become deeply attached to these people We're we're putting parameters around these little units of time and space and having these sessions Mm -hmm. we actually want them to be attached we want our clients to be attached to their natural attachments the people in their lives we're not we're not their attachments i mean we're using the principles of connection to um you know create that bubble of therapy where you know healing takes place and it you know crosses Mm -hmm. lines right where people do get attached but Mm -hmm. I always used to think that that was the goal to try to get my clients to become attached to me and why are we doing short-term sessions and we need to be you know look at the science Mm -hmm. of attachment we need to be working with these people long term and that sort of thinking but I mean um Gordon Neufeld's making sense of therapy
1: intensive
0: Mm -hmm. flipped that on its head where actually you know no we actually want to have a a limited time because there's it's a bubble that you're creating that has a beginning and has an end and you step in and you step out just like you would some of that is the
1: safety that makes it makes it possible right yeah it does give them a sense that okay some relationships can be exactly what they say they're gonna be (laughs) you know that someone can say i'm gonna be here for a short period of time I'm gonna let you know that I respect or or I'm interested in you as a person I'm gonna help you to find natural relationships that that you know you might you might be able to repair or they might be just helping you to find a uh, somebody that that you don't yet know somebody you haven't yet met but what would they be like you know the fantasy attachment even
0: yeah and I guess the message for parents is that professionals are not the answer. Professionals mm-hmm. are always um, looked at as the answer, but as mm-hmm. as helpful as they are, I mean, you are one. <laughs> I am one too, but
1: <laughs> indeed well and and I think of myself more in the context of of you know trying to help a young person who might be you know a little bit lost from their parents. Is is trying to be a, a a bridge back to each other, yeah. If it's possible. Yeah.
0: Right, and that's but, essentially what you're doing with couples therapy, right? You're mm-hmm. you're helping find, helping them build bridges back to each other.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Because often people have a really clear connection, and then their attention gets uh, busy somewhere else. As they're busy trying to figure out parenting or, you know, mortgage and all the uh, work that require, <laughs> that's required to pay for things. And, and people can get quite far apart from each other. And yet, uh, they started the journey thinking we would really like for each other to be the parent of my children. And... Or I would really like for you to be the person that I grow old with and and uh, yeah, we can lose sight of that in, in all the other chatter, I think.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean once the oxytocin wears off <laughs> all the issues start to come up, all the shadows wait, emerge wait a and minute. <laughs>
1: Here, I forgot all about that.
0: <laughs> they're supposed to emerge, right? I mean, they're going to yes. emerge in the context of our closest relationships. That's, you know, that's healthy. That's, that's providing you with, like, free therapy. <laughs> your partner's <laughs> providing a mirror that you, you know, you couldn't yes. dig that deep if you tried on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, mm-hmm. Indeed. And so I I know that Gordon Neufeld's work is so deep. There's so many different little, you know, portals to this subject matter and that subject matter, and it all fits together. And, um, you know, I don't even know where, um, you know, parents have to start somewhere. But um, have you ever thought, pondered the question, um, you know, if you could just kind of offer one piece of wisdom to parents that would, you know, transform their, their parenting or the, their way of interacting with their child, you know, what would you pick or where would you start?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The golden nugget. Or like, what's your
0: favorite kind of, um, Hmm. subject matter with relation to this, this work that you're just really keen on?
1: Um... You know, one of the ones that I talk about, or or just um, try to convey in many different ways, whether it's with couples or with parents, is, is the alpha dependent ah, okay. dynamic. It's so important that we feel as the caring adult, so important that we feel our alpha, and that we have a sense of generosity that comes from I want to take care of you and when our children can feel that that generosity is quite the appealing elixir really for children that's like ah oh, yes let me rest in that um and and when it doesn't feel like that then I'm certainly working with a lot of parents to try and find their way back to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, parents that feel they are struggling themselves because perhaps their start in life was not one where they were able to depend. And so then it's very, very challenging for them uh, often to picture themselves. Oh my gosh, what do you mean? I'm in charge of this too. Ugh. but I'm so tired by that. And I'm, working on the well i would just like you to experiment with this a little bit because when you provide and your child receives it feeds you back too and this is the repair
0: absolutely yeah alpha brings with it a medicine of um making it feel okay and i mean there's only so long we can be in alpha we need to find a place to depend for ourselves but not in our children
1: yes Mm -hmm. well and and so i think that's yeah if i would say that's one one area that i spend a lot of time um just talking with people about is this alpha dependent dance and between two parents it's so helpful if both of them have a sense of that dance between them and the uh, ability to hand it off to the other person when i'm exhausted (laughs) i've been alpha all day and man i just need to sit <laughs> i need to you know find that there's a little bit of breathing room for me to rest and yeah yeah the problem is when everybody is
0: starving and um in a depend thus in a dependent mode themselves mm-hmm. in need of care when they're expected to be the ones providing
1: yes yeah it is so hard then and it's so hard even to imagine when you were in that depleted state of mind, that depleted state of body, that the answer is actually for me to find in myself some generosity to give and that this will actually then when I can give with generosity, that that will feed me because it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to imagine.
2: hmm.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And sometimes that means, you know, adults have to find their moments of rest. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, the thing that in fact that they've been missing. Some adults have access to rest that they can't actually take advantage of because they are so themselves so concerned uh, that they can't, they can't feel that anyone can actually give them rest. They don't right they don't feel the trust and and you know there's a lot of injury there right a lot of grief
0: yeah some people have never known rest yeah i know i was definitely the alpha child it Mm -hmm. took uh, a really strong alpha invitation from a mentor of mine to help me finally feel rest and trust and i was like what is this trust you speak of (laughs) why would anybody (laughs) do that but yeah
1: exactly and and yet what what a healing experience when you mm-hmm. just get a little taste of it right you go okay this is what this is what it's supposed to be like wow and then a lot of grief too cuz wow i didn't have that hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: what was it like for you growing up with your parents now you can kind of analyze your mm. childhood? Did, were you quite at rest, and or did you kind of come um, I to had this had Some places I was at
1: rest, and some places not. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I would say, um, in many respects, I was also myself in an alpha place, and um, and yet I did have people that I could count on. So, yeah, I think I had a little bit of both, <laughs> a little bit of both.
0: Yeah, and I think probably both you and I are products of the, you know, spanking generation and that sort of thing.
1: Yes, yeah, and I, I can't say that the, the spanking thing was a really big thing, but, but uh, for a lot of my growing up years, we also lived with my grandparents, and... They weren't spankers either, I should say. But um, there was just a, a, a thing on the radio. They were talking about, you know, when you were a kid and you swore. What happened? Mm. I know what the bar of zest tastes like. Oh,
0: okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So you know that wasn't great. And uh, so I, and yet my my grandmother, who's the one who had this very stern. Um, you will not be saying that you won't be saying that around me anyway Uh, on the other hand she was like this incredible softy who invited relationship a lot and right and uh you know (laughs) so like I said I had a a bit of both
0: and she had her parameters around what she could not invite and what she could
1: (laughs) she certainly did and and you know you just had to know what those were and uh yeah, I think my mom was was very young when I was born, and I think for her, uh, you know, as as uh, a lot of young moms get a lot of unsolicited advice, probably a lot of things to make you question whether you know what you're doing, and and so I think she did question what she was doing, and uh, didn't have a really strong lead, but uh, yeah, that's where I that's where I got sort of into the alpha mode, I think, is I could see where there's moments where she wasn't sure what to do,
2: Mm. and
1: I would just step right in there. (laughs) It's like some undoing to do as an adult. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sure most of us in helping professionals are coming to it with some sort of alpha complex, whether that be by... Defense or default? Or default.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, indeed. I was. Uh, I was just thinking about. Um, I I haven't talked with you at all about this, but I I was just uh, thinking about something that I'm just starting to to work on. If 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 it's okay for us to shift gears a little bit. Oh yeah,
0: of course.
1: Yeah. So. I, I, um, I know that this year, uh, Dr. Newfeld had a class at the annual conference about parenting and preparing for parenthood. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, then we talked a little bit more about that because of the clinic that I work in, I said, well, I've got such good access to people who are preparing for parenthood and, so I've started to talk to some people in the community where I'm living, some of the uh, obstetricians and some of the midwives, some of the health nurses who visit new, new parents, and um, I've heard something that is very interesting and um, alarming, and I'm, I'm curious, I, I expect it, it's probably widespread, but one of the one of the things that I've heard as I was speaking with one of my colleagues at the obstetrics clinic is that the the um, infant development center has noticed this past year a, an alarming number of children after one year of age are presenting with uh, developmental delays. Hmm. And they. Believe that this is connected to parents' use of social media or cell phones while oh. they are caring for their infants.
0: Oh, jeez. Hmm.
1: So that certainly um, got my attention and some of my uh, thinking about, you know, where I might put some of my energy in the next year or two and trying to see how do I help, how do I support parents-to-be so that at the end of a year they've got a child who's developing (laughs) as they ought to and that they've got the solid relationship that they can parent with rather than having children who are struggling developmentally uh, who then, you know, require even more of their parent's Uh, time, energy, attention to repair something that could have worked really well if they had only known.
0: I'm not surprised that that's the case, because when I think about how often people are on their devices, right, and Mm -hmm. then I think about, um, you know, just the the still face experiment video.
1: Exactly, right. And I've, I've shared that one with a few people.
0: Yeah, and I mean, they have some you know up-to-date ones on youtube and stuff i'm sure you've probably looked at those but i've i've shown those to yeah lots of parents as well i showed it mm-hmm. in in the adolescent quest course as well like the, the, uh, the yes. young people were fascinated by this because i think yeah. some people are still kind of under the assumption that babies need basic needs care like food water shelter exactly. that kind of stuff and sensory input so it's kind of like oh here's the toys go play you know lay the baby down in front of the the big plastic thing with all the blinking lights and sounds and everything Mm -hmm. but not appreciating the certain return factor here
1: yeah that they're that they're counting on a lot of uh facial interaction a lot of copying of their sounds and leading some of the sounds that we want them to learn how to make and um, yeah just all kinds of practicing uh, cues understanding interaction between two faces right yeah yeah totally live faces not tv faces yes so anyway the the one of the physicians told me that the the local clinic are now handing out to newborn babies instead of what they used to just give them a little, you know, a knitted cap and booties or something like that from the hospital. That now they've actually got some funding to give babies uh, a little bib when they're at the hospital that says uh, something like um, "I'm cuter than Facebook." <laughs> play, play with me. Look at me love me or something i have to see one of these bibs but oh yeah there's goodness. three short things but one of them is play with me and look at me i think and i think ah and you know just talking with my colleague she's like wow it's really sad that that this isn't obvious yeah yeah and that totally. this isn't happening and that the result is a, a alarming increase <laughs> in children who qualify for developmental delay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like we opened up a nuclear plant here. This is not, you know, this is not poison and pollution. This is uh, this is something that we're all seeing. Pa- parents' eyes are stuck on these little handheld devices, and, and babies are getting still faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: yeah totally when i think about you know yeah if you go to the park or something how often do you see parents or you just see yeah i've had to do like stay and play type programs and stuff and it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like a drop-in play program and and parents are getting out there to you know get some social interaction and that but yeah the devices thing is a huge huge problem yeah yeah
1: yeah, and, and I think, you know, to be fair to the parents, I think that they just, they're going into it blind. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know that that's going to have any impact. I think if they knew the impact it could have, that they would, you know, feel dreadful that they'd potentially done that because most of them are are well-intended and really thoughtful about the food they're feeding their babies and, you know, trying to get really, you know, really good care for them and all kinds of things. They're just not not aware.
0: Yeah, and I think it's easy to get really stuck in a literal perspective of, you know, changing the baby, feeding the baby, you know, all those literal things, mm-hmm. but not thinking about the emotional connection
1: and yeah yeah well and I think even what if this is if this is um, impacting infants in this way what are they seeing in kindergarten and do they know that what they're seeing might be connected to this you know are people able to jo- join the dots and I think sometimes there just has to be this large swing, where you know initially when phones cell phones mm. came out people were like you can't bring that into a restaurant you can't have that at the table and people were mm. still in touch with those those sort of norms of how we eat meals together looking at each other and you know sampling food off each other's plates and you know but these things are are, are connecting meals mm-hmm. together are, are a great opportunity for connecting and conversation and and then uh and then over the last few years, you notice that, that some of this intuition seems to be um, fading a little bit. And there's more and more people at the phone, you know, have the phones out on the table. And, but, you know, as, as any new trend comes along, the, the phones and now we all have them at the table or not all of us, but a lot of us have them at the table. Will there be a, a moment when people go, you know what? Like, I used to like going out for conversation and let's just put the phones away. And I'm I'm hoping that that swing back will come.
0: Yeah, there was a really amazing um, TED Talk that was used in the Quest Adolescent course that uh, Tamara Strijak from the Newfound Institute um, put together. Um, it's called Alone Together, well Alone Together was the book um, by Sherry Turkle, have Have you seen, oh she is, she's so wise and so integrated, she really explores both sides of the perspective, you know, um, you know, technology is wonderful and offers us all of this, but you know, when it um, gets in the way of our fundamental need for human connection,
1: that's where it becomes a problem. That sounds like a good one. I think I'll have to look it's, it up. Yeah. It's, I, it's I have really her good. book right here. Sherry Turkle, I think. Is it Sherry? Yeah, Sherry Turkle. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. She's definitely not one-sided in any of her perspectives. She's got a very well-balanced, mixed, integrated, gray, not black and white perspective. And Very.
1: Yeah. yeah a well, I think that's individual. why we have to be. We have to acknowledge. Like, you know, when we started talking this evening, we were talking about having a child away at university, that social connection through, uh, you know, Snapchat and Instagram and, you know, Skype or whatever, that there's lots of, lots of ways of staying connected to a family member long distance now that we didn't used to have. And I think that part is amazing. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, when I went to, to school away from home, Uh, I didn't have that I mean it cost quite a lot of money to phone home and uh, that just wasn't an option to do that on a daily basis
0: yeah exactly and and the commitment the level of commitment to actually make a phone call I mean I mean there's a plus and a minus to that too but we can have these little doses of connection um that maybe we you know, maybe we wouldn't have otherwise. We wouldn't have any connection if we didn't. Mm-hmm. If we had to make that big leap, and actually, you know, have a phone conversation, which, yep, you know, we could look at that one of two w- either way. But, um, yeah, it's a it. Technology facilitates attachment. In, in a good way, if we if we use it that way.
1: Yes. I often think of it if you've if you've got an actual face-to-face relationship with a person and you're using social media to connect with each other, then it then it accentuates the relationship. yeah, if you don't have a face-to-face relationship with this person, it it, it seems all like a very difficult way to actually form a sincere relationship. yeah and and then and then I think, well, gosh, wouldn't it be, uh, in a way maybe more vulnerable, but certainly more plausible to form relationship with people whose faces are in the same city as you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if it's somebody you don't know, you can at least play cards together or go for a walk together or something. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, well, lots of, lots of gray area in this one for sure. But anyway, I just thought I would share with you that, that, uh, Interesting development, and, and I look forward to uh, trying to find my way to work with some of the other people in my own community just to kind of support the, the parents who feel isolated, and thus they're, they're, they're uh, moving into their devices as a way of not being so lonely or not being all by myself or something. Yeah. yeah how to reach how to reach out to them and provide something that's meaningful and something that actually fills them up in a way that doesn't compromise so much of their children's well-being
0: well and i think what you were saying about um, um, as you were talking there i was thinking about sort of this this trend that comes in how you said that you know people just are unaware they're just kind of s- swept up in this trend and mm-hmm. i think that You know, when television first came out, everyone was like, this is glorious. Let's just, why wouldn't we just sit here and watch TV all night kind of thing? And, you know, same thing with, you know, candy and junk food and stuff like that, right? Like our systems responded to that. And we went, oh, wow, you know, why wouldn't we just, you know, eat this kind of stuff? But then as as the research came out about, you know, oh, wait a minute. If we just sit here and eat burgers and watch TV all night, every night, we're going to get autoimmune diseases and these sorts of things right (laughs) and and it's actually kind of become untrendy or uncool I think for the most part um to watch a lot of tv or to not choose healthy eating options and that sort of thing so I think we we kind of you know maybe if we knew more about um what children need from us the devices thing will actually become sort of um the not so cool thing to do
1: well here's hoping that the 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 pendulum swings back a little bit more to uh you know let's use it when it's useful and and let's have a culture where it's okay to not be available every minute where it's okay for me to say actually my phone's gonna be off i'm hanging out with my family tonight
0: yeah exactly
1: Mm -hmm.
0: get into right relationship with technology
1: Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) exactly we used to say when the phone would ring and it would be dinner time when i was growing up why would i answer that i pay for it for my convenience yeah if it's not convenient right now why would i answer it yeah (laughs) so i think the same with the cell phones it's like i'm i'm paying for it if it's not serving me i i don't need to say to People I'm going to respond or like or, you know, comment back to things and spend, you know, six hours of my weekend making sure I've caught up with everyone's post.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: The sun's shining. I think six hours of my weekend needs to be spent out in the sunshine and <laughs> hanging out or doing something else. Maybe I'll spend an hour getting the main highlights or something of somebody I'm
0: exactly.
1: missing. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's there
0: to serve us, but we can become enslaved.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, yeah. I, I think there's a lot to what you said, too, in terms of people just are not aware. They just don't know. And I think um, when people are seeking answers, parents are seeking answers, like, look at the sleep training or the timeouts or, mm-hmm. you know, y- you want a solution. Um and oh well this professional or this doctor said that you know that's how you handle it you give a you give a time out to a child Mm -hmm. x amount of minutes based on their age or the child is crying we'll put them down to sleep they'll they'll learn they'll learn (laughs) to um you know self-soothe and these sorts of things and it's it's just a a perspective that's not um
1: not informed That's it. I think it's just not informed with at what cost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A a, a saying that I've heard that I've used in reference to the technology is, uh, uh, it's technology is like fire. It's a wonderful Mm. servant, a terrible master. Yeah,
0: exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, great analogy. So, what was the um, what was the essence of um, Gordon's lecture on preparing for parenthood? I didn't go to that session because I knew it would be recorded, and I could go. Yes, to
1: other things and and you know and what the 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 lecture I didn't get to go to it either. I think I was oh. presenting at the same time. I was presenting oh, okay. about emotions at the same time. Ah. And so uh, you know, I I I have have looked at some of what he's uh, prepared for it and I and I plan to watch it sometime before I really sit down with uh, many more people and the in the people in my community to give them some idea of what 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 would be helpful but the essence of the talk I think is because uh, the it's uh, preparing for parenthood and I think it's the subline is you're more you're more ready than you think his uh his main theme of it seems to be to remind people that attachment is in us mm. that all of the instincts are there for an infant and that we've got a lot to offer our infant and that we are actually their best answer as parents that we don't have to read 14 books and you know study up on things too much in part what we need to do is sit still reflect really feel uh our own internal alpha it's there and and you know read what it is that they're depending on us for i think he's got some you know, some tips for people in terms of facing some of the the fears of of what if i don't know what i'm doing and some of those questions that are very common for parents yeah but uh i can't say much more about it yet because i haven't watched it in
0: well, it can be so easy for parents to lose their instincts in, oh, what if I don't get the right stroller? Or, you know, yeah. these little minute details of, um, you know, what products to buy and that sort of thing. I've watched so much alarm around that, you know, like there's this yeah. stroller and that stroller and what about the car seat? And, you know, I need to get the right rocking chair and these big stressful um dynamics around you know products baby products and
1: yes getting the right thing reading the right book as if as if there's one right way that would apply to my child your child the child down the street the one you know next door to me well each child needs something different in terms of the answer (laughs) you know my child needs a hug from me and the child across the street might need, you know, permission for their cat to have a snuggle. Everybody's got a different need. It's just that we as parents, we're the ones that can read that. We're the ones that are are meant to be the answer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's so much built into us. If we don't get caught up in, you know, this pressure to purchase the right things, read the right books, do things one way that in, in fact a lot of a lot of what what's going to help is just the relationship and it's okay not to be perfect, it's okay to recognize, wow, I'm still learning and that's okay. <laughs> or hey, we don't have enough money to have, you know, a perfect little bed to take with us when we travel and oh my goodness we're gonna have to figure out something that's makeshift well that that's not going to be the 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 deal breaker at the end of the day it's I'm still paying attention to what you need yeah if I get lost in you know (laughs) I get lost in trying to chase down at you know an hour past your bedtime running out to stores to try and get the perfect bed for you while we're traveling i think i've lost i've lost my instincts there
2: Mm
1: -hmm. baby just needs to sleep yeah (laughs) baby baby will sleep just fine if we just figure it you know what is you know what is it that baby's gonna need to sleep here yeah it it, it isn't a name brand thing
0: well i'm sure you probably saw that in mexico and have you traveled to other places where you've observed some really solid Um, attachment-based culture and practice and
1: yes for sure
0: yes in spite of minimal (laughs) minimalism by via poverty
1: it yeah indeed a couple of of images came to mind when you mentioned that I mean when uh, my husband and I went to Costa Rica we we were childless at the time and we went to these lovely outdoor restaurants there and you know that that long wait after you place your order for food and then you're just hungry sitting there waiting for your food so if it's a long wait for us adults imagine what that is for children Mm -hmm. and and in Costa Rica at uh, many of the restaurants that we were at the children were given permission to just walk around the restaurant and say hello to people (laughs) and you know and and they did they were they were uh, you know wandering the restaurant, you know either chatting or smiling or making faces or hiding or just they were playing. and that that it was absolutely the norm there that children are given the room to play during this terrible wait where we're all hungry waiting for our food.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And nobody seemed put out by the children coming by the table and smiling or waving or, you know. <laughs> and we thought, oh, this is such a great child-friendly environment. Yeah, I think
0: yeah. we're so alarmed in our culture, you know, that, that we're going to upset or offend some other adult if our children be a child in front of them or near them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, who doesn't love a little dose of, you know, a child's smile or some play or, you know,
1: laughter around the table, you know, (laughs) staring at the stranger making, making uh, a game of things. Uh, So, yeah, I think we, we could certainly use a bit more room for children's play, a little bit more room for children to just be wiggly because they're not adults of course mm-hmm. they're wiggly they're hungry and uh, it's uncomfortable for us as adults but we hopefully have some integrated ability to you know be hungry and be be uh, calm you know patient adults in the restaurant but children we can't expect that of them
0: yeah and I think the other fear is just that you know I need to have my eyes on you you know you can't be running around the restaurant but there's a little more trust i think in in latin america around children kind of wandering and in south america too i have observed that
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yes just... and i mean these weren't huge restaurants it's not like the child was going to be out of sight uh, out of sight and you know yeah. even even you know places like that where there's a bit more of that communal responsibility as adults even this is not my child, but if a child had stepped out of the restaurant, headed for some place that wasn't safe, I have no doubt that several adults would have jumped up immediately and hauled them back to the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's a bit more of that sense of community and, you know, it's sort of like it's coming full circle to something we were talking about earlier, the sense of community in some places seems more intact than it is in other places and that sense of community I think is you know part of the sense of community is we all are looking out for the children in our community
0: yeah there's a collective child raising sense of responsibility Mm -hmm. yeah I know I feel like that when I go out into the world in the grocery stores and whatnot I feel like um you know, I can ha- handle my own and it's fine if there are children around me and that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I don't need you to, you know, whisk your child out of the way. Um, you know, they'll, chances are given that I'm a stranger, they'll be quite alarmed when I approach them to yep. pass by <laughs> in the grocery store and they, they will move. They, they don't they'll need to, to your be legs. kind <laughs> of reined in, right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it's It's, Kind of sad that there there isn't the space in our culture for children to be as free as, you know, I would like
1: them to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you observe some of the same things.
0: Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely in Mexico. Yeah. I think attachment culture is alive and well. And, yeah, they have such few possessions and yet that you know the babies are always you know held and Mm -hmm. the children the toddlers are allowed to um have you know big emotions and there's not really I didn't observe many reactions in people's faces Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when the toddler was having, you know, kind of a meltdown or, you know, (laughs) whining or crying or whatever, that there wasn't this sort of reaction in the parents' face that 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 wasn't okay or that they needed to do something about it. They just kind of allowed it to happen. And I think they just saw it as, you know, that's the two-year-old being two.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. I, I even, I was thinking about another scene that we had seen when we were in Mexico years ago when my daughters were quite young. And, um, we'd, we'd, uh, gone sort of into part of the, a busier part of the city from where we were staying for the day. And so we'd, you know, kind of taken the bus in and wandered a long way along the beach and spent the day eating whatever people brought us on the beach, you know, people walking by with fish on a stick and all kinds of really good food mm-hmm. and, uh, enjoying ourselves, over the day, at the beginning of the day, we had seen a mother with four children, and two of them were about the ages of my children at the time, so they were two and five and and uh, she had one on her back and um, yeah, these two two children that were you know quite quite little, and another one mm, who was just barely walking, I think, and they were selling little tiny things. And and it was first thing in the morning we saw them, encountered them, and, and uh, the girls were like, oh, that's different. Hey, these children are working. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is different. And then, you know, we enjoy our full day. We have a nice dinner. And we're just going to wander back along the beachfront uh, after our dinner. And we're wandering along, and it's nighttime now. And we encountered the same mother with the same – children and my daughters are like big eyes whoa are they still working and I was like yeah they're still working and so then my daughters were like well can we buy something from them mom they need to have you know oh I wish I'd uh, you know brought something out to them and whatever their their compassion was sort of well placed there and it was really sweet and then uh, so I mean that was just touching it wasn't necessarily a a thing about attachment. it was just You know, my children uh, experiencing through looking at other children and their lives Mm. must be so very different from my own. Um, The 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 little beginnings of their own um, compassion and empathy and just wow, I can just see this is this is really different. But uh, the the other thing that we saw as we're walking along the beach. A bunch of the people who had been earlier in the day selling mangoes on a stick or you know whatever they were selling they had gathered as this little community on the sand so the adults are now playing music and singing and some of them are dancing and they're just visiting they're just having this really nice communal gathering nobody's um, you know disorderly or anything like that it was just it was clearly a community of people who supported each other and all of their children, the ones that, you know, have been sloughing <laughs> wares all day are gathered up and they've got these like blankets laid and out on the sleeping. sand. <laughs> and all these little kids are just sleeping like little clumps of puppies, all cuddled up together <laughs> in these great, <laughs> and these great piles of cuddles and just sleeping right there on the beach, right, Aww. you know, within within a uh, close distance of the adults but clearly such safety even though i thought wow you know this is it's beautiful these children probably are like a sibling extended family group mm-hmm. for each other there's a lot of attachment here this community is beautiful
2: yeah
1: and yet um you know we think oh poor people they don't have but i think well I think, I think they're rich in some ways that we are not.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, we have a certain type of privilege, but same thing in Peru. When I went into the mm-hmm. High Andes last year and saw their really well-functioning attachment culture, it was... Uh, I don't think they have a word for anxiety or the types of mental unrest and Yeah. psychosis and various things that we have. You know, they, they are mm-hmm. at rest... Um, in a particular way and I'm there sh- they're of course they're not exempt from human suffering and they work of really course. hard and mm-hmm. it's tough in a sense um, they have very little but also you know a lot like they throw a giant feast yeah. and they have this abundance of the you know four items the potatoes the guinea pig the corn that they have and it's um yeah it's a simple sort of subsistence Mm lifestyle that they have but oh my goodness are they ever rich with joy and um, relationships and just the children in these um, schools you know just watching them interact with each other I just can't even fathom any sort of bullying you know maybe light teasing I could see it going there but Mm -hmm. you know not the types of bullying and issues that we see with young children and you know the mental health issues that we mm-hmm. see here
1: well and i suppose in a community like that the children have little need to step into alpha by default there are, you know if even if your mother might not have the alpha Presence that you require you probably have a neighbor or an auntie or a a, a grandfather or a uncle or you know somebody in your community is probably going to in those kind of um yeah more more connected communities there's going to be somebody who's going to be an alpha caregiver who's going to step forward and all of
0: them all of them will (laughs) yeah yeah there's just everywhere everywhere that child turns is somebody taking care of them
1: Yes, so even there where you've got uh, the potential and, and, and perhaps even the likelihood of, of people becoming parents at a young age, if if as uh, you know I guess Gordon's trying to say, look we've we've got a lot of this stuff is built in. We don't have to fabricate it from somewhere. It isn't taught, it's in us. if If you've got a community around you too, it wouldn't feel so isolating or frightening perhaps for, a first time father or a first time mother to figure out, whoa, what do I do? There's there's many adults in the vicinity that you can watch, follow, follow their lead, ask, get guidance from.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not so isolated like a lot of a lot of our parents are and, you know, the only connections they feel when they're isolated is whatever they can get on their phone.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think there has been more meaningful community building initiatives and mm-hmm. I even heard about this one house in Calgary where a group of single moms got together yeah. and um, because they were feeling so isolated and and overwhelmed as single moms they decided to live about four or five of them in a house and build this little community type house mm. and they even do have like workshops every month and have someone come in and have a little community night and a workshop and you know the kids wow. get to be, kind of siblings, and they share responsibilities, and just those sorts of you know applying those principles to a modern mm-hmm. context.
1: Well, and I think there's there's uh, some of that evidence of that pendulum swing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do need we do need each other, as adults as children, uh, through the lifespan we need each other. Even seniors I talk to sometimes, and they feel so isolated and alone
0: oh yes yeah, uh,
1: you know they too yeah. there's lots of of seniors who found now okay well I'm going to find some connections in my community now that I don't work anymore I need to find connections somewhere and so there's lots of lots of um, groups of seniors you know they go traveling together or hiking together or play cards together things that you know, I think we used to do naturally and People are coming, coming back to some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, we have to be a little more intentional about it now, I guess. But, mm-hmm. yeah, back to the roots.
1: Yeah, maybe a lot more intentional just to get things off the ground, you know. Mm-hmm. It's easy for people to say I'm too busy, I don't have time. That yeah. seems frivolous. That seems like play. Wait a minute, play. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I'm an adult. <laughs> it's like, Oh, we need it even more. <laughs> oh,
0: yes. We need to find our play. We need to find our play. So, um, well, that might be kind of a neat note to to end on, because if you can believe it, mm. we've been going at this for an hour and a half, almost Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, we had a little moment of glitch, a couple minutes of glitchiness technologically, but otherwise, yeah, we've been at it for quite a while. So, um what do you what do you do for play like um, maybe to even just to offer some some ideas for folks who don't even know what that is.
1: <laughs> what is play? Well, and and I would say it's different on in different venues for sure. I enjoy music. I get a lot out of music. Um, I'm a person that enjoys listening for the lyrics in music, so uh, I certainly find. I, I enjoy finding music that really expresses uh, good emotions so you know I keep little playlists in my mind or sometimes I write them down about you know angry songs or mm-hmm. sad songs things like that I, I I would say that some of that is play i I think one of the things that that uh, we do a lot of in in my family is major amounts of Humor, laughing at ourselves, laughing at uh, silly things, you know, your, your um, stubbornness when you don't want to do something. And we'll just make, make, um, make light of it. We talk about counter will. You having a little counter will? <laughs> 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 yes, maybe I am. <laughs> yeah. Just so, name it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm feeling a lot of counter will. You're being too bossy. <laughs> yeah. So we, we certainly do a lot of uh, playing uh, making laughter uh, with whatever is kind of coming up as as we go um, i I enjoy <sighs> I love getting out in nature whenever I can I would mm. say that's a different kind of play but I just find sometimes... Um, I can rest in the immenseness of nature sometimes.
0: Oh, it's so restorative,
1: yeah. Ah, it is. I used to do this thing when I was a kid, and we would drive through the mountains. You know the mountains as you kind of drive between um, Alberta as you're entering into the Rockies, and all of a sudden you're going from these sort of flattish to then rolling hills to then, whoa, there's these huge mountains. And I would... I would play this little thing in my mind. I would look at myself and myself compared to the tree that's sitting or, you know, standing right beside the car I'm in. And I think, Whoa, me compared to this tree. Okay. Then I would look up the mountain and try and pick out an individual tree. And then remember how small I am in comparison to the tree. Wow, <laughs> wow. like, I'm an ant. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. And I don't know, like, it, it was just playing with ideas in a way, but somehow when I would think about things like that, I would just be like, yeah, it's okay. It's going to be all right. Look at the world's pretty immense. And there's, there's a, there's a lot of things going on. And my, my problem in comparison to the mountain that's around me, I think, I think there's some bigger things than me.
0: <laughs> it is fascinating when you play with different angles of perception and, yeah. different scopes.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Uh, That's just one of the examples of things that I used to play with in my mind and I think holy cow. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, but lots of things I think, you know, play playing with ideas and words and music are probably the main things.
0: Yeah, yeah. So for music, you you try to find the matching emotion. Like if you're frustrated, you try to find the mirror in that in those lyrics or in the, in the way that the music feels that meets you where you're at?
1: Sometimes, or I I mean, I don't even have to be uh, angry just to find quite a great deal of humor in some of the angry music and the Mm. lyrics. I think, Oh, that's a great way of blowing out some steam, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to resonate for me to get some, some enjoyment out of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I I certainly I like thinking in metaphors and stories as well. I think that's playful, playing with ideas. Mhm. Mhm.
0: Yeah, me too. I use music a lot like that too, and mm-hmm. where I just kind of know when I get in the car what which song I need to listen to.
1: Yeah. For whatever yeah. reason,
0: I might not even be feeling that, but then that song takes me there, and I I just had to go there for some reason.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. I mean intentionally I feel like oh maybe I didn't get a good sleep I need a bit of energy then there's ah. certain songs I could just play that just pump me up
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah kind of more fast paced music that just mm-hmm. kind of revs you up and suddenly you're not tired yep yeah I I use music in much the same way I think that's probably one of the most um yeah the easiest bypasses just straight into the limbic system yeah Everyone has to drive in their car. We all have music that we connect to and. Yes,
1: or even if you know you're taking transit, a lot of people are mm. are you know plugged into their, their earbuds and listening to something on their playlist and, and uh, yeah, I think we don't always think of that as play as adults, mm-hmm. but it is play. I think the other thing that we often don't think of as play as adults is is things like the uh, I I really uh, enjoy the late night com comedy news shows. Oh yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah,
0: yeah. Like I John think, Oliver and oh, like those yeah.
1: kinds of, yeah. I mean, I used to love watching John Stewart and now it's Noel, uh, Noel, what's his name? I think it's Noel maybe. Um, but anyway, the, the, the late show and poking, poking fun at the news of the day and, uh it, it goes back to this historic way that we used to play with ideas through the theater, you know, comedies and tragedies. And and I, I think that the, the late night comedy news shows or the little dialogues that they do at the beginning of these talk shows, I think a lot of it is exactly that. They're playing with both comedy and tragedy. <laughs> We're laughing exactly. and
0: fucking fun. Yeah. Trevor Noah.
1: Trevor Noah, thank yeah. you.
0: Yeah, it's the only way we can really handle all of the <laughs> terrible things that are happening is to to play with it and to make fun of it and yep. use black humor and. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's the only yes, way I can like... take a news is is if it's kind of being made fun of because I don't understand why all these things are happening. So it must be delivered um, through play. Yes.
1: Yes. Or it's yes. just too well, alarming. It's just too much. Well and yeah, so then sometimes you just tune right out of that and <laughs> go into watching some favorite thing or reading a good story, reading a good book or whatever. But yeah, we're all we're all navigating pretty alarming worlds, so we definitely need ways to play and um, yeah, let let the emotion move a bit.
0: Well, very good. Yeah, I think that's probably a good note to end on leave people with some thoughts on um what they might like to use as play and
1: yes yeah Mm -hmm. because it's different for everybody but i think sometimes we don't really think of these things that we've just been talking about as play but they are play they're adult
0: definitely definitely
1: for sure well it's been great talking with you yeah uh,
0: you too is there any um Anything that you're kind of doing out there in the world that you'd like to point people to, or um, do you have anything going on that you know a way in which people might want to find you or look you up, or?
1: Well, that's a great question. I uh, I don't. I don't. I have a few things that I'm working on, but I don't think that they're uh, yet at the place where I can sort of say come check this out. Yeah, no, nothing yet. I've I've been. Um, Working on a few things, though. Of course, we'll continue to do so. I think, Ooh. yeah, no, just <laughs> <laughs> she says, hmm. <laughs> yes. Well, and and more along the same lines of what we've been talking about. You know, helping helping adults to make sense of kids, helping adults to make sense of relationships, and um, helping parents to feel some confidence that it it really is meaningful to sit and goo goo gaga with your baby (laughs) yeah 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 i think that's probably the project i'll 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 put quite a bit of my energy into in the next year and and i don't know where to say to look for that except that uh um yeah there will be more coming i suppose i have a website but uh uh yeah i don't have anything really active going on there much right now so
0: and if people happen to be in the Langley area and they want to come down to your um, counseling agency, what is the, the name of the place?
1: My, my counseling uh, office is called Resilience Couple and Family Therapy. Oh. And that's my website as well. It's just resilience, CFT, C as in couple and family therapy, dot com so resilientcft.com and uh, yeah as i as i'm working or partnering with people um and have some more interesting things to go i will certainly be putting an update and and writing a bit more about that on my site so
0: and do you ever do um parent coaching over the phone or anything or is most of the work you do just in person
1: most of what i do is in person i have worked a little bit with people who are um, uh, you know, by Skype, by distance, if I'm going to be, um, also meeting them in person, I don't usually start a relationship online though. So it doesn't, it doesn't give much access to people, uh, being able to, to connect with me in a counseling perspective mm-hmm. remotely. Although I have, I have an interest in, and will still be teaching some courses remotely through the Neufeld Institute mm-hmm. and, uh certainly involved in the emotions course and the anxiety course quite actively and uh i'm sure there'll be more courses in future
0: awesome Mm -hmm. well yeah Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed taking the anxiety course with you however many months ago that was (laughs) yeah so
1: that's a that's a fun course because you can't relate to anxiety right
0: yeah definitely yeah Okay, very cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, your insight, your wisdom, your stories.
1: Very welcome, and uh, thanks for the opportunity, and, and we'll touch base in person sometime in the future. Oh, we hopefully, can't not. Hopefully not, not yeah. so far. Of <laughs> course we will. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, All right. We're, we're both keeners for life, so I think we'll for find sure. each other in many of the same um, conferences and lectures and learning environments
1: we certainly will all right okay all the best
0: yeah to you too all right take care okay take care